All right, if you have your Bibles with you, and I know you do, because if you don't, you at least got your phone. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. As we work our way through the Bible, heading towards the end of Corinthians, or through the New Testament, I should say. A light just there. Has that gone off again? No, it's back again. It's all right. I can hear myself. That's cool. Hey, Jane, hey, Don. All right. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity in the obedience of Christ. I want to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare, because that's what the passage is about. So it sort of seems a logical thing to talk about. And what our weapons of the warfare are, because spiritual warfare is one of those things where, I mean, we sort of live, even though it says we shouldn't, we live according to the flesh. We live according to what we can see. We live according to what is known. You know, if, the, um, you know, if, the, if they say they're going to put interest rates up, then people stress out. If they say they're putting them down, then people stress out. Because it means employment's not looking good, you know. They talk about the mining boom being over. They talk about it coming back. And, you know, we get upset it's over because, you know, there's no jobs. Say, mining boom's coming back. That means, oh, if you're not in the middle of it, it doesn't benefit you and you're gonna, prices are going to go up. And, and we live according to the flesh and what happens around us. But Paul says there, says we're made of flesh, but we don't walk according to the flesh. Part of the Christian journey is getting over seeing what you can see with your natural eyes and getting into what you can see with your spiritual eyes. And we need to get God's perspective on life rather than our own. Because I don't know about you, but our own perspective is usually fairly limited. That was perspective, not perspective. Now, if we only live according to what we can see, that would say right now that our whole world is encased in this building. It's encased in this room. But when you get God's perspective, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands. He has a universe sort of a perspective, but even that's just a part of God's view of life. You know, it says he measures the universe by the span of his hand. I don't know about you, but if I look at my hand, I can see more than my hand. And since we're made in the image of God, I reckon you know, he can probably see more than his hand. He's got a big perspective on life. And we need to learn as part of our Christian walk to see life like God sees. And a big part of that is spiritual warfare. Because if you can start to see how God sees, then you start to overcome in life. If you see, keep looking as to how you see, then life is very limited. If you start seeing how God sees, then the impossible becomes possible. Yeah? I wrote a line down here that just because it looks like it's true doesn't mean it is. All right? Just because it looks like it's true, it doesn't mean it is. Now, it looks like our economy's slowing down. It looks like unemployment's going up. So therefore, it looks like we should all be very frugal and hold on to our money and be afraid of losing our jobs. Because that's what we're told, right? Just because it looks like it's true. It's, it's like the story of a, 
a guy who went off to Harvard and um, he did his, you know, master's in business there and came out and, you know, he's a very learned young man. And his dad was a seller of hot dogs in New York. He was a street vendor. You know, he used to sell hot dogs from his little street vendor. And, and his dad's business was doing well and he had a couple of, um, you know, a couple of dad, a couple of guys working for him. So he had two or three sort of little carts out there and they're selling hot dogs on the streets and doing quite well. And dad was thinking about expanding. And he thought, oh, I'll go and talk to my, you know, very educated son who's just graduated from Harvard and he's a very bright guy. He's got his master's in business. He'll be able to give me some good advice. And since I paid for the education, I should get it for free. So he says to his son, you know, I've got my, my three vans out there and we're doing really well. The money's rolling in. He says, I was thinking about buying another three vans and getting them out in the streets and some new locations and expanding the business. What do you think? And the son said, oh, Dad, that's a bad idea. He said, really? I thought you're supposed to grow your business. He says, yes, yes, but, but Dad, understand the economy. You know, the, the dollar's not doing really well. The market's really low, you know. And what that means is that people are going to start losing jobs. It means there's less money out there. You know, and you work in that sort of disposable income thing where people have extra cash to be able to buy a hot dog at a whim and they're not going to have that extra cash because they won't have their jobs and they'll be afraid of losing their job if they have got one so they won't be holding on to their money and so they won't be buying hot dogs. Oh, Dad goes, oh, he says, what do you think I should do? He said, Dad, I think you should actually start cutting back on your business. You know, you need to maybe ordering less stock and, you know, maybe even considering cutting back on one of your vans to, to save on wages. And, oh, and the Dad got very serious. And so that's what he did. He, he, you know, ordered less hot dogs and he cut back on one of his vans. And you know what happened? His profits went down. Because he went by the limited view of his son. Because common sense is if you order less stock, then you've got less stock to sell. And if you take out one of your locations, then you've got less money coming in. And so the guy's business started to go backwards because he started to hold back because of what his son said might happen. And it becomes a self-fulfilling self -fulfilling prophecy. Just because it looks like it's true, it doesn't mean it is true. I think too often... We see things with our limited view and we react to our limited view and we end up with them happening and we go, see, it happened. Well, duh. Proverbs says, as you think, so you are. Imagine if he'd gone and bought another couple of vans. I reckon his profits might have gone up. It's a bit like coffee. It doesn't matter how bad people are, they can still afford a coffee, right? And it's true. You know, I hear people going, oh, you know, I can't afford this, I can't afford that, oh, bills, the coffee van rocks up and they go out and get a coffee. Just because it looks like it's true, it doesn't mean it is. The world may be telling you one thing, but that's the flesh. It's what does God say about your situation in His Word. Yeah? And this doesn't take out things like good planning and, you know, being wise in what you do. But we're told not to walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit. Find God's perspective on our situation. And God makes the impossible possible. He makes those situations where it looks like something's just, there's no way through. And yet God makes a way through. I mean, we're talking about the God who turns water into wine. You know, it was impossible. They had no wine for the wedding. There was no way they were going to get any barrels of wine at that time of the night. When you got Jesus in the situation, suddenly it's all done. You know, you get someone like John and Elizabeth. John and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth get the right gun. You know, and John's conceived. It was impossible. 
Abraham and Sarah, it was impossible for them to have a child. It doesn't matter what the world says, it's what God says. And this is the thing about faith, is when you have faith in God and His Word and what it says, the impossible becomes possible. So how does that work? We've got to understand that every situation in life is about spiritual warfare. That there is a heaven, there is a hell, right? There is a God, there is a devil. Yeah? Your enthusiasm is overwhelming. I'll go over this slide because they're louder. So there is a spiritual warfare. The moment you signed up and said, I want Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, you entered into spiritual warfare. You entered into a battle. In fact, before that you were in a battle. There was a battle between heaven and hell for your soul. And when you made a choice and said, I choose Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, the devil didn't suddenly go, oh, well, that decision's made, then oh, well, that's it, it's all over. You became his mortal enemy. He went, that's it, I'm after you. But that's not something to be afraid of because at the end of the book, it says that we win. And this is one book you're allowed to read the end before you read the rest. <laughs> it always bugs me when my wife does that. Sits there and goes, I want to see if it's going to end well. <laughs> We're at the movie store a few weeks ago and uh, it's really hard to find a good movie nowadays, isn't it? You know? And when we do find a good movie, she's got this thing about sad endings. It can't have a sad, if she has a sad ending, she will go away and make up her own ending. Because <laughs> life's good, you know. God's good, so things have to be good. So <laughs> we're at the movie store, and there's one, like this, this, there's two movies in the whole store that are probably appropriate to actually take home that we haven't seen. And that doesn't mean we've seen a lot of movies, it just means there's a lot of good things to see. And, and so we've got these two movies, and we're still looking at one, and she's going, oh, I'm undecided. But the other one, she goes, that looks really good. But I'm wondering, she said, I've seen this guy movie before, and he has sad endings. And she's sort of reading it, doesn't, and it's one of those ones that could go either way. So she goes to the counter, and there's this, this Irish guy behind the counter. And she says to him, you know, does this have a sad ending? And he just looks at her and says, I'm not telling you. She says, no, no, you don't understand. If it's got a sad ending, I don't want to rent it, I'll get the other movie because I don't want a sad ending movie. But if it's got a good ending, then I'll take it. And he goes, I'm not telling you. She says, it's going to ruin the whole movie. I'm not telling you if it's good or bad. She goes, no, you don't understand. And for five minutes, they're going backwards and forwards. And he's just going, I don't care if you're the customer. I'm not telling you. It'll ruin the movie. We still haven't seen that movie. Because she won't have a sad ending. <laughs> you know, she goes, is the person dies? No, that's it. They can't die. It's got to have a good ending. But that's how it is. There's a good ending. The end says that we win. But on that journey towards the end, we've got to play out the rest of the movie of our lives. And a big part of that is spiritual warfare. See, Satan's aim is for you to see things as negative, as terrible, and as bad as they can be so that you can get depressed and feel hopeless and therefore you won't share your faith, you won't share how good God is because life's so sad. But Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. It doesn't mean that bad stuff isn't going to come your way. It just means that you have the power of God flowing through you to take on anything he throws your way and to overcome it. But the key is knowing how to overcome it. Step number one is 
So understand, you're made of flesh, but you don't walk according to the flesh. You're walking according to the Word of God. This overcomes any flesh. If you don't believe me, go back again. Abraham and Sarah. The flesh said she can't have kids. The Word of God says there's whole generations that come because she had a kid. Yeah? The flesh says we're at the wedding and there's nothing else to drink. But Jesus says, let's have another drink. Yeah? The flesh says that so many people while Jesus was walking on earth had died or were sick and were hopeless. But the Word of God says that by the stripes of Jesus we were healed. In Matthew 8, that Jesus took our infirmities and carried our diseases. And he healed all who came to him. All right? The verse 4 says, Our weapons are not carnal or fleshly, but they are mighty in God. The weapons we have are mighty in God. Well, they have to be, because they're in God, and God is mighty. You can't separate God and his character and his nature. They don't separate, because God is who he is, right? I know that sounds really obvious, but God is who he is, and how he acts and what he does is a result of who he is. And, and you've got to go through this process, because the church for so long has, has taught that, you know, that God's up there and it's like he's this great, big, stingy God sort of going, convince me. Convince me as to why I should help you through your life. You know, I've given you salvation. Isn't that enough? You know, you want me to help you through life as well? You want me to do things for you? You know, you want me to bring healing into your family? You want me to provide for your needs? Convince me as to why I should do this. Are you good enough? And for a long time, the church has sold that line. It's like he's up there going, am I persuaded? God is good. And as Don Moen says, all the time. Because he can't be good, he can't be not good, because it's against his nature. You know, we, we can enter into our flesh and go against our godly nature and be not crucified with Christ and enter into sin, Right? We have that choice because while we are sanctified, we're still being sanctified. There is a battle within us between our flesh and our spirit. Our spirit is renewed when God came into it, but our flesh rises up occasionally to try and take over. And all those who haven't sinned in the last two weeks, raise your hand. See, I knew. You know what I'm talking about. Don't act holy. Just because you are. God isn't like that. He's not up there battling with his sinful self because he doesn't have one. He is good. And it says that God is a loving father. In fact, he is so loving and generous, he makes us dads down here look like we're rotten sinners. That's the equivalent the Bible talks about. It says if you give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, who is good, give unto you what you need? God's not up there going, convince me. He's up there going, ask me. I want to give it to you. Here, I give it to you. Receive. Receive. I think it's not that he has a giving problem. I think it's we have a receiving problem. Because we go, I'm not good enough to receive this. No, you're not. It's not a secret. We all knew. You know how we knew? Because we all felt the same. You're never going to be good enough by yourself. Ever. I'm telling you right now that sometime in the next month, you're probably going to do something wrong. You're probably going to sin. You know how I know that? Because you've been doing it 
for every month for the last however many years, right? But you know what's really, really cool? Is that when you confess your sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And it's just like that. There's no delay. There's no, oh, have we waited the appropriate time and you felt remorseful enough? It's not like there's a big clock on God's wall and he's going, hmm, that sin is a good two hours before I could really you know, extend my forgiveness. <laughs> oh, that one, that's a five-hour beauty, yeah. No. When you confess, he forgives right there. It's done. So that means you're holy and righteous the moment you confess it. That means you're in the perfect position to receive his goodness. Yeah? Get excited about it later. All right. Our weapons are spiritual weapons. They're not physical weapons. All right? Because our weapons are not carnal, fleshly. There's a word for that. But mighty in God. In other words, if they're in God, they have to be spiritual weapons that overcome in the physical. Because what happens in the spiritual happens in the physical. Yeah? You can't divorce the two. You know, God didn't spiritually make Sarah conceive by Abraham. It had to happen in the physical as well. But how did he do it? He spoke it in the spiritual, and it comes about in the physical. It's like creation. He spoke it because he's spiritual, and it comes about in the physical. Yeah? And words are powerful, and what you say are powerful. Mark chapter 11, let's go there. Let's flick through a few verses and jump through a few weapons that you've got that you can use to kick some devil butt and change your life. Because as you change your life, people look at you and go, how can the good things always happen to you? And you say, because i got God working for me. And when things go wrong, you're always still so cheerful and happy and hopeful. That's because i got God working through me. And you get to share your testimony. Yeah? Mark 11. Get the right size of the page. Verse 23, I say, Whoever says this mountain be removed and cast in the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. James says, The most difficult thing to tame is your tongue. Proverbs says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why is it so important what we say? Because what you say can either create life or destroy. Because you're made in the image of God, and that's what God did. And I have people say to me all the time, I can't get my head around that because, you know, I feel like I'm saying things that aren't true. Well, imagine if God was like that. And he went, look, you know, the words you say, they, they aren't important. The words you say are vitally important. You have the power of creation in what you say because the power of God flows through you. And when you're in line with God and in relationship with God, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things are added unto you. When you're in that relationship, when you delight in the Lord, he grants you the desires of your heart because you line up with him and your will lines up with his will and then you start to speak what he wants to happen. But people still say to me, I understand that, but, but I can't get this how you say things that aren't as though they are. I guess it's really simple. Say you were calling your dog. If I walked, if I, had, I used to have a dog called Topsy. It was my brother's dog. That's why it's such a silly name. Because <laughs> I'd never call a dog Topsy. I mean, what, what is a Topsy? So we walk out to this Topsy anyway. Nice dog. Strange name. If I walked out the back and my brother was away somewhere, you know, on camp or something, and I went to feed the dog. I walked out the back and Topsy's nowhere to be seen. Do I go, oh, well, she's not here, so therefore she doesn't exist, therefore I'm not going to feed her. See, we laugh. So maybe I go out the back and I go, Topsy! And, and someone, my neighbor looks over the fence and goes, what are you doing? I'm calling the dog. Why? The dog's not here. What am I doing? I'm calling those things that aren't as though they are. Am I? 
And so the dog comes when you call the dog. It's amazing, isn't it? I called something and it happened. You know, if, God, if we'd been God at, before a creation, we would have looked around and gone, gee, it's dark. Wouldn't we? We would have said, gee, it's dark. And you know what? It would have stayed dark. But God didn't. What did he say? That there'd be light. See the difference? You have what you say. As Charles Capp says, you know, God spoke to him and said, the problem with my people is, I told them they can have what they say, but they're so busy saying what they have. I'm poor. I'm broke. I'm sick. You know what happens? I've never met anyone who says that and seen their life change. I learned this week that the guy who invented the Dyson vacuum cleaner, he had 5,000, 5,000 companies reject his product. 5,000 people say, it was over 5, it was 5,300 and something. Imagine that. Can you imagine 5,000 reject letters? 5,000 phone calls going, I don't think so. We don't believe in what your product is. Now that guy could go, I have a reject letter, therefore my product doesn't work, therefore I'm over. No. What did he do? He kept going. He kept focused and speaking what he wanted. Now if that can work for a guy like him, it's a biblical principle. Because God says, you can say to this mountain. Now you don't say to the mountain, oh gee, you're really big and in my way. What did he say? You say to the mountain, mountain move. You have what you say. And he follows it up by in the next verse by saying, you have what you pray. So you've got to do your praying and your saying together. This is a key part of warfare. See, we often get into warfare and we go, oh, I've got no money. Oh, I've got no job. You know what happens? You've got no money and you've got no job. But when you start to change your confession based upon the word of God and your relationship with God, things start to change. It doesn't always happen overnight. But it does happen. It'll happen. I've yet to meet anyone who walks around going, I haven't got this, haven't got that, who suddenly finds they have it. And you know what happens when if they do get it? They lose it. It's like lotto winners. The average lotto winner is actually work off, worse off within 18 months than what they were before they won lotto. Do you know that? It's 95%, I think, is the figure of people who win lotto are actually in a worse financial position 18 months after they win. Because they go and blow it all and they run up debt against what they've got and find themselves actually in more debt than what they were when they started before that. Because they don't know how to handle it. They haven't learned how to handle it. And that's how God is with us. He would teach us how to handle it step by step. You know, we'd be saying, I want a Ferrari. Well, hold on, are you in line with God? Are you you spending time with God? Are you in relationship with God? Are you delighting in the Lord? Because when you start to do that, your desires don't become for Ferrari. They become for God's will to be done in your life. And God will use that to teach you. And it's a process. The Christian walk is a process. We all hear this sort of stuff and we go, cool, I want to be there tomorrow. Okay, well, God, I want my 15-story house and, you know, I want my 75-carats garage so I can put in my Lamborghini and my Hummer and my blah, 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 blah. And it's all me, 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 me. And James says, you have not because you ask out of evil desires. You've got to balance the whole of Scripture. That when you delight in the Lord, he grants you the desires of your heart because your desires start to line up with his and you start to work out what is important. Yeah? This is part of our warfare while we speak. Are we okay with this? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. What happens? What's the other part of it? You see, when you start to speak, what happens is the angels start going to work. 
Now, I worked out the other day, there must be a lot of angels sitting around doing absolutely nothing. Because they're ministering angels to respond to what we speak from the Word of God. Did you know that? That's their job. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. I'm, I'm jumping a bit around here, but I'm just giving you touches, all right? And he's talking about angels here, and he says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And now I've lost the other bit that I was going towards. Lost it. Sorry. I don't have glasses. Ever. I have perfect eyesight. Like Moses, his eyes were not abated. In other words, his hearing. At 120, God will do it for Moses, he'll do it for me. Jude. <laughs> but it says the angels and ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation. So they work for you and they work for everyone else who's going to inherit salvation. Right? And they respond to the word of God. Let that sink in. We'll preach on angels on weekend. We'll go through in great detail about the awesome stuff they do. All right, I've got to move on. I'm going to run out of time. For pulling down strongholds. Our weapons are not carnal flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The idea behind having the weapons is they actually do something. All right? It's not much point. And you don't want to be like, you know, the Cold War, you know, Russia over here, America over there, and all they do is who's got the biggest ICBM that no one's ever going to use. That's not effective weaponry. Because it doesn't do anything. And then they've got to spend billions of dollars taking things apart and trying to dispose of them. At which time they lose half the stuff in the process. Then they're going to employ all these guys to go out and find them and stop people using them for bad things. That's not effective weaponry. That's not how God works. All right? He says, The weapons are not carnal flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You have these weapons from God to be able to go and use them. Strongholds are those things in life that have your life and look like they're impossible to tear down. That's that habitual sin that you fight against. You know, always getting angry. I'm always getting angry. Well, stop saying it. All right? Whatever the, the thing is that you're struggling with. We overcome them with the weapons of God. What are the weapons of God? Well, they're the words that we say. The prayers that we pray. We've been through those. Ephesians chapter 6 gives you a whole lot more. And I'm going real quick now. Because I know you all want to have some soup. Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, there it is again, but against principalities, against powers, against the rule of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And how are they defeated? By spiritual weapons and the angels responding to what you say and going out and fighting on your behalf. Because you can't fight a demon in the flesh. You can't come face to face with a demon and poke him in the eye. It doesn't work. I tried. I didn't try to poke him in the eye, but came face to face with a demon. All right? You beat a demon with the word of God. You beat the principalities and powers by praying and speaking the word of God and by putting on the whole armor. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, verse 13, to be able to withstand them in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. What is truth? Truth is not relative. Facts are relative. Truth is eternal. Facts change. 
Like I say regularly, if we'd been standing here six hours ago, I could have said to you, it's light outside. That was a fact at that time. But here we are in that same place six hours later, and if I said to you, it's light outside, you would say, you've gone bananas. Because the fact is, it's not light outside, is it? So the facts change. The fact is, it's now dark outside. Facts change. But truth doesn't. The Word of God doesn't. So if you're going to put on truth, you need to know the Word of God so that you can speak the Word of God. Moving on. Put on the breastplate breastplate of righteousness. How do you get righteousness? Jesus, it's given as a gift. You confess your sin, accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. On going confess your sin, you receive righteousness. Righteousness comes out of relationship with God. See, word, relationship, they all end up in the same place because God and his word are one. Yeah? Moving on. Having shod your feet for the preparation for the gospel of peace. How do you get peace? It's a good question, isn't it? How do you shod your feet with the gospel of peace? It's really easy. The key word is actually gospel. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. If you're poor in spirit and you need Jesus, the good news is the gospel. If you're in poverty, the good news is you have to be poor anymore. If you're feeling poorly, you don't have to feel poorly anymore because there's healing in Jesus. Salvation, that word sozo, means complete healing, body, mind, and spirit. That's the literal word. And we've been okay with the spiritual healing, but for some reason we've dropped off the body and mind, even though that's what the original word says. And when you receive salvation from God, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, you find peace because you know what your hope is. It's eternal. It doesn't matter what the world, this is what Paul says, it doesn't matter what they throw at me. Now I've been shipwrecked and I've been stoned and I've been this and that and whipped three times, or 39 times, times three. But he's still got peace. He sits in jail and sings. Why? Because he knows what his hope is. He spends time in the Word and in relationship with God. So you can't get away from that. Everything's tied up in God and his word. They're one. Yeah? All right. Above all, take the shield of faith. How do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? Word of God. We're there again. That's the theme here. All right. Let's keep going. Take the shield of faith, which will quench the darts. Take the helmet of salvation. How do you get saved? You hear the word of God. Is that that? Where salvation comes from, isn't it? You hear the word of God, convicts you of your sin, realize you need God in your life. It's amazing, isn't it? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There's a theme in this. Don't you think? That if you want to be in spiritual warfare, the key to spiritual warfare, I'm telling you right now, the key to pulling down strongholds in your life, things that come against you, is spending time with God in his word. To sit down in the morning and evening. David says in in Psalm chapter 1 that your soul prospers. You enter me like I'm like a tree planted by streams of water. You bear good fruit because you're in the Word of God and you're spending time with God in the morning and in the evening. That is bookending your day with God. You know, I find if I, if I don't spend time with God at night before I go to bed, I find it really hard in the morning. Do you know that? But I find that when I spend time with God, before I go to bed, just a few minutes, just reading his word and praying, it's actually easier for me to get, because I've had my major time with God in the morning, it's actually easier to get up in the morning. It's incredible. It doesn't make sense to me, but it works. I don't understand how it all works, but it works. When I spend time with God, you know what? I find sin easier to deal with. 
When I spend time with God, reading his word and praying, I find I have answers to situations and strongholds are pulled down. All right. Absolutely. All right, verse 5 says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Knowing God is the beginning of wisdom, we're told. Yep. Let me tell you something. People are going to bring arguments against God and against His Word. And they're going to sound logical, and they're going to make the Bible sound illogical sometimes. And they make you know, God sound, how could there really be a God with this, this, and this? And this doesn't match up, and that matches up. But you know, the, you know what the Bible says? It says that God's Word is foolishness for those who don't know Him. If you could put God into a box, if you could limit God down to your understanding, then He wouldn't be God. All right? There is stuff about God that we just cannot understand. We just don't have big enough intelligence. I mean, it's like trying to explain the Trinity. You know, I can give you, it's like, you know, an egg, it's, it's like this, and, you know, but it's like, yeah, it's like explaining a dinosaur by giving a dinosaur egg. It just doesn't sort of do the weight, you know, the justice, does it? You know, here's a dinosaur egg, out of this comes this massive Tyrannosaurus Rex. It just doesn't work, does it? You know, if I have a fish egg, this is going to make a shark. Are they born live? No, no, they're from eggs. They're, they're born live? Okay. I realized as I said it that I probably got it wrong because I thought, hold on, I think they're born live. Sorry? There you go, start as an egg. If you can open a shark, <laughs> you as an egg somewhere in the process. I realized as I said, I thought, hold on, they're born live, I'm pretty sure. If you can't open a shark that's pregnant, it has an egg. I mean, think about an embryo. You know, something, something the size of a peanut becomes you. We can even go back to like the size of a sperm becomes you. Sorry, can I say sperm in church? <laughs> All right. I mean, it doesn't make sense, does it? How can something like that suddenly multiply cells and keep multiplying cells? Who told it? How does this happen? But this is the God we have. And so the thing is that when you spend time with him, when you're reading his word in the morning and in the evening and you're taking in what it has to say, it starts to change your perspective. And suddenly you find you have the strength to handle whatever comes your way. Because your perspective changes from, I'm in this situation, everything looks too big, to God's in control. I need to trust him. And he does the fighting for us. He does the fighting through us. It doesn't mean all your problems suddenly disappear. It just means you have the capacity to handle anything that comes your way and to overcome it. As Malcolm Fraser says, life wasn't meant to be easy. That's because there's spiritual warfare going on. But you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. What's the testimony of the saints? That God's good and that He overcomes everything that comes our way if we trust in Him. I want to encourage you. Don't lose sight of God. Don't lose sight of that time with Him every day. Don't, don't let it slip. Don't let it go. Morning and evening, read the Word. Pray. Even if it's just a few minutes, get more of God in your life. And you will become stronger. You will become wiser. You will find the answer to those impossible situations. Because He promises it. Remember the word prosper means 
not that you walk around with billions of dollars in your pocket, but it means that everything goes well in your life. That's what it means, literally. So whatever's going on in your life, what he's saying is, you hang out with me, and I'll give you the answer. I'll show you. I'm hanging out to show you. Come and hang out with me. I'll show you how you can overcome. Because God is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you you're a good God. We thank you that you have given us salvation. Lord, that you have given us your word. That you've given us the freedom to come to you directly in prayer, in worship. I pray as we go out, Lord, that we'll have a hunger for your word, a hunger for your presence, a hunger to spend time with you. That whatever situation we face, we will overcome. We thank you for your love for us and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.